Get ready to rumble! The shack is back. Oh, that was in the upper deck. Oh, that one's gone. Bingo! Good manners are back. You think it's safe to hit a ball in a place like this? It's ballroom. Good times are back. Woo! You know, I'm always shooting myself with those darn poison tip crossbow darts. Eddie Jack 2. I don't know why they don't put a warning on the package. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I am your host, Scott White, and I am joined once again by my good friend, Mr. Will Fordyce. Oh, hello. Why, Scott? Why? Will got a, a bit out of line uh, during our last podcast. So I had to punish him, and the punishment is Caddyshack 2. Not the original Caddyshack, which would have been a joy to watch, but Caddyshack 2. So my experience, I watched Caddyshack, the original, uh, uh, quite some time ago. I need to get a refresher on it. Uh, so maybe during parts of this, I'll, I'll reach out and ask um, certain questions. But uh, number two is, a, let's say, standalone movie in my mind, uh, relatively. It was a very confusing movie. So this is what falls under the category, I believe, of an unnecessary sequel. Yeah. The original Caddyshack came out in 1980. This came out in 1988. T- uh, too much time had passed. There was no reason for it. So was this the first time you had seen Caddyshack 2? Yes. It, it, and it almost had a vibe of like, or a feeling of, they were trying to go for like a Kentucky, fri- they were trying to put m- different movie parts in and just like make these characters, like force things to happen. Uh, you know, the they were setting up for bits, it seemed, opposed to, you know, going through the movie. Jackie Mason, who stars in this, you could definitely tell that this was just a vehicle for him to do his bits. Hey, I'm Jackie Mason. Oh, what are you? What are you standing there for? You know, that's what the entire movie. For. Now, to be fair, that's what they did with Rodney Dangerfield in the first movie. Okay. However, it works much, much better in the first movie. Everything works much, much better in the first movie. <laughs> this movie is filled with talent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's written by Harold Ramis, who wrote and directed the first one, or co-written, I should say. There's lists of, like, the worst sequels of all time. And Dan is it The Blues Brothers 2000 and Caddyshack 2 always fall on this list, and Dan is in both of them. Yeah, interesting. So we'll just start... Please. It starts with... The gimmick. <laughs> the gimmick of the gopher with the Jaws theme. Yeah. They start off with a hack premise with the Jaws theme, which had been used... Jaws came out in 1975. This premise of the Jaws theme when when something bad is going to happen. So it's already old in 1988. It's really old now, but it was already old in 88. And did you... And, and forgive me, but did the gopher talk in the last one, I, I if I recall? No, the okay. gopher did not talk in the last one. the first line is the gopher going, I'm back, to wink yes. at the audience. Exactly. And that was that's where I was... I set my stuff down. And I looked back at my life and realized I shouldn't cross you during your podcasts. <laughs> right. The first line of the movie is a racist joke. Oh. Okay. Where they're golfing 
this very white bread woman goes, oh, my friend found out that her boyfriend was half Italian. That's the first line of the movie. Oh, I thought that that was hinting at a good thing. It was a penis joke and a racist joke at the same time. Gotcha. So, yeah, because we're introduced to these, like, like, uh, very, very highfalutin, very high nose, uh, better than you characters, because it was the, the, uh, we come to find out the son of the president. Is that, is that the son and the daughter and the, the daughter of the president? Uh, and they're the president of Bushwood or yes, the president of Bushwood. And there, I guess they met this girl in college. So she's trying to, I mean, we find out later she's trying to better her life by making connections and joining this club. Um, but she's, she, they met at school and they, they even ragged her for like, Oh, you go to this school. I, my maid went to that school. So they're already establishing very strong. No, no subtext here. It's right on the surface. You know, these are some assholes. They go right into setting up, these are the bad guys. So we know these are the bad guys. And the woman wants a diet root beer. (laughs) So she sends the caddy to run back to the caddy shack to get a root beer. So that's where the opening credits... The opening credits is is just him, Jonathan Silverman, a very talented actor. You see him running. and The credits are over him running to go get this root beer for this Because they're woman. at the ninth hole, so they're the furthest away they could be from... Right, they are right in the middle. So they are the furthest away from the Caddyshack, either going forward or backward. So she's a... she's a Well, I'll, I'll filter that word, because uh, she's, you know, she's very snobbish and, like, playing her power play. Like, go get me this. And, and it's even set up, it's like, oh, it's all the way back there. She's like, well, okay, go. And so he... he so he's going through, jumping around, and and then we he makes it back finally, and and gets it to her and kind of panting, and she pops it open, takes a sip, looks at him, and just like throws it, drops it on the ground where the gopher comes up and gets yeah. it. Yeah, super evil lady, more bad guy action. Right. <laughs> then we cut to Jackie Mason. I I liked his introduction. I thought it was a good to show kind of who he is as a person. You know, it was it was a little sticky. It was a little this. It was a little like forced. It but, was heavy handed. But the blue collar guy, the the heart of gold blue collar guy, who's who's worked his way up. He's in construction, so he owns this construction site. He's gambling with his workers. He loses on purpose because he knows the guy he's gambling with has a big family. Rough around the edges, heart of gold guy. Got it. Yeah. And they are building middle income property, middle to lower income housing, affordable middle to income housing in this area where the rich people are and they are being protested because the rich people don't want these blue collar workers to. And they're using this old shack as a, a means to keep them from building. So everything is just. Everything is ham-fisted right at the beginning. Good guys, bad guys, this is what's happening. There's no gray area in this at all. And in a comedy, I don't think you need a gray no. area, but it's just all... It's, it, everything is set up within the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah, so uh, they they did decent with some that part. So so these protesters are here, and, and Jack takes it upon himself 
to go down and connect with them. And I think he tries to reason with them because it's, it's the historical shack that the protesters are protecting is it's a dilapidated. It's, it's a, a garage that they have propped up. What are you talking about? It's a garage. <laughs> and I'll probably bl- break into my poor Jackie Mason accent please, throughout please this. Please do. <laughs> He's one of the people. I wish he was more famous He's one of those, you hear that voice and you immediately want to start talking like Jackie Mason. He, his, the voice, I mean, is very, um, like, uh, people imitate it all the time. I, I think they don't know what they're doing. And I do, and know. they don't know where it comes from. I think you are right. His voice gets imitated, but they don't. It's not like Christopher Walken. Yeah. Where, where everybody knows where it's coming from. It's like people will imitate it and it's like, oh, they don't realize it's, it's sort of like a generic Jewish, a New York Jewish accent that he's doing. But that was his real voice, and that was his real act. Yeah. Oh, very nice. So so the protesters, um, the, the he finally has enough, and so the, he sicks a bulldozer on him, and so the bulldozer starts to, like, scoot, um, like, push these people away, and then doesn't it cut? And, by the, and these protesters are all in their 60s, at least. Yeah, and there's two of them. It's all these... Yeah, there's these gray-haired people protesting, and they're dressed nice. They're they're the the you can tell they're of the neighborhood, so to speak. Um, so I mean, and then they get kind of like scooted off. What's up? I didn't oh, say anything. Oh, sorry, but they get scooted off with the bulldozer, and everybody has a laugh. And then we cut. Uh, we cut from here. Yes, but before we cut, the uh, one line that got a chuckle out of me. Mm-hmm. Is uh, Jackie Mason and his, and his assistant, uh, Marsha Warfield, who was from Night Court, a very, very talented comedian in her own right. They're walking around this building on girders, and Jackie Mason walks past a worker, and he goes, Hey, take a chance. I'm insured. I'm like, that line actually got a, a chuckle out of me. <laughs> and, but it was just like an off-a-cuff. I don't think it was supposed to be intentionally that funny, but that was... To me, the funniest line in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, we still have an hour and twenty minutes. And that's to go. yeah, like I said, that's five minutes in. <laughs> so we cut. So we cut from that scene, and we go back to uh, Jack meeting uh, at the club because his. So what's happening is his daughter. He sent her to good schools. She wants to get her dad into Bushwood because it would be a step up for them in her mind. That's how she feels. So her daughter is the friends with the with the snobby with the snobby brother and sister and she's getting seduced by Bushwood and the upper crust so she's like she's trying to get her dad to get involved in that. So her daughter is taking Jackie Mason to the club and they're meted by Buffy, Muffy, Muffy. Yeah, That's Muffy because the joke that they said was oh, we called uh, back in school we called this girl Muffy but for different reasons and then we have a little bit of slapstick as the valet comes and help tries to help him but he's you know he's a simple guy so he's getting his own hat and he bumps the door into him and there's a little bit of like and then he gets his hat and walks inside we get a a crotch joke getting hit in the balls this is written by Harold Ramis (laughs) the late great Harold Ramis and then we meet Chevy Chase for the first time so Jackie Mason is friend with Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase plays Ty Webb. Chevy Chase is the only character from the original movie to come back to the second one. Mm-hmm. Nobody else did. Uh-huh. I believe at this time either Ted Knight 
had died or was very sick. So I could understand. So I know why he didn't come back. Once we get to it, I'll explain why the other main characters didn't go okay. back. Because he's in the back playing pool, and, and I guess from the first one, he inherited a lot of money. And uh, could you elaborate on that? Like, how he got well, to Well, no, in the first one, he didn't. He was an owner of a bunch of lumber yards. Okay. But his inheritance is not really touched upon in the first movie. But it is in this movie. So he has inherited... The character that Chevy Chase plays as Ty Webb in this movie is totally different. In the first movie... He's the smart ass, but he's he's very very charming. In this movie, he just comes off as uh, very misogynistic and and, a, and a, just as a as a jerk. Yeah. The character difference between the two movies is night and day. <laughs> well, money changes people, so I hear. I guess so. Um they they did have one fun line in here. I think they were going back and forth a little bit and Chevy Chase goes, I was born with a wooden spoon in my mouth and Jack goes, eh, it must have hurt your mother. That was a, you know, fun little quip back and forth. And so they're so they're playing pool and and maybe you could describe this to me. There's something where I guess they're trying to use psychic powers or in the one So in the first movie, Chevy Chase is very zen. Okay. So he's telling everybody, you know, to be the ball. And that's where the na-na-na-na-na comes from. Okay. And that's a carryover from the first movie. Yeah, he's very, very zen, you know, just relaxed and let things happen. That's how Ty Webb plays golf. That's how Ty Webb, Chevy Chase, lives his life. So he, he's doing that while playing pool. You know, the na-na-na-na-na-na-na, and he's just, he's just sinking every, every ball in every hole. Yeah. So then we go back to the club, or he's in the club, and he works his way back out around. He he works. So Chevy Chase introduces Jackie Mason to Robert Stack, and Robert Stack is the president of Bushwood. He decides who gets in, who doesn't. Robert Stack plays this waspy, typical waspy. We're better than everybody, person. And I'm gonna say this: Robert Stack. He brings class to the role. It's a pretty thankless role in this movie, but he know he doesn't try to be funny. He does because he knows his role is to be the straight person. Yep. He does well, and so he does it well. I, and I feel bad for Robert Stack in this movie because he is a very classy actor. This was cool. not, not a good choice to make this movie, but there, this movie has a lot of. Re team ups. I'm not the word I'm thinking of is escaping me <laughs> because we get Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase from from Saturday Night Live and the bunch of movies they made, and then Randy Quaid and Chevy Chase is in the movie from the Vacation movies, and then Robert Stack and Dan Aykroyd are in this movie, and they were in the movie 1941 together. So there's a lot of you know old teaming in this movie. Yeah. And and just the chemistry is there, and they, they've done it before. Or this is leading up and planting seeds for great chemistry in the future. Speaking of Robert, his class, didn't... He was on a show that was like America's Most Wanted, or... He was on a very... He was like, on uns- show. Unsolved Mysteries. That's the... Okay. So his... I mean, the, and he, he kind of didn't vary too much from there. He played it very straight and very, like, intense. Um, I mean, with a flair, but... Very serious. Now, speaking of Dan Aykroyd and 
Robert Stack mm-hmm. on Saturday. Robert Stack starred in the TV show Untouchables, and Robert and Dan Aykroyd on Saturday Night Live did an impression of Robert Stack <laughs> on the Untouchables. I'd have to go watch that. So there's a lot of there's all the connection, all the you know the connections and behind the scenes stuff is much more interesting than the movie itself. <laughs> but they're milking the the sequel bucks. You know what people liked back then? Caddyshack. Let's do it. Yes. Oh, man, they've been doing it for a while, haven't they? <laughs> so Chevy Chase introduces Robert Stack to Jackie Mason, and this happened several times during the movie. They just don't need Chevy Chase anymore, so Chevy Chase just goes, I gotta go, I got a thing. <laughs> and then that's how they get him out of scenes. It's just so incredibly lazy. It's like, I'm not, I can't stick around, There's I got a thing. Something else is going on over here. Is this where we're so, we're introduced to the wife uh, that we found out the protester is? Yes. So we're introduced to the wife, and we're introduced to Diane Cannon, who's Robert Stack's cousin. Diane Cannon, who is a, a very attractive woman, mm-hmm. takes one look at Jackie Mason, this five foot six balding Jew from New York, and as a, a friend of mine introduced me to this phrase. She, 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 he just floods her basement. She is immediately just all over this guy. There is no, once again, no subtlety in this. She, not that these two people couldn't have dated, but she takes one look at this guy and she, Well, I think, it, and, I mean, go ahead and then I'll, I'll share my uh, And The one thing I will say is I am just glad every, everything is age appropriate. She wasn't some young, hot, foxy young lady. They were all age appropriate, and I I enjoy that more in movies than when I see the sixty year old man with the twenty year old woman. Yeah, but the the thing I was going to say is the reason I think her character at least was drawn to Jack is because she seemed a little offbeat uh, where she was, and she was seemed eccentric. At least we come to find out, and Jack comes in like a fresh a breath of fresh air. And he's not stiff like everybody else. He's he's not taking life seriously. So I think she sees that in him and she goes, ooh, somebody to play with. Absolutely. I 100% agree. But that needs to be worked up to. It true. was just Very immediate. True. Let them... Learn about each l- other. Let the dance of seduction happen. Yeah, but it is, it is right. just immediate right off the bat. But no, that's 100% true. That's why that's why they're, they're kindred spirits. Because they're both... Uh, not in this waspy country club they don't think where everybody feels they're better yeah, than Yeah, I think they don't think they're better than everybody else. And and they're just they play with life a little bit. Um Exactly. But anyway, so so I guess is here where they do like a little golf intro where they go out. Um the president has to talk the wife down and be like, "I know, honey, but he's he's a prestige he might be a prestigious member, so play, you know, you pun intended, you well, got to play ball." Right. So he's like, honey, if we're nice to him, maybe we can talk him out of building the buildings. Yep. So Robert Stack is doing the phony approach where if we pretend we're nice to him, if we appeal to him, if we make him a member, maybe we get him to back off making these buildings, these apartments, so these people won't in. So it's all, it's all sleazy. It's it's all wrong from the rich people's point of view, but that's what they're doing. So they go and play golf, and and this kind of confused me, and maybe it was something from the original I didn't understand. They go out, 
and the club members are taking it seriously. They have normal clubs. They're playing the game of golf. And Jack is some kind of inventor now. Well, yes, that is from the first movie as well. Okay. Rodney Dangerfield had these these scientific clubs with the radar and all that. There's no reason for it. You have to have seen the first one to know why this one why this works. These electronic clubs, these scientific clubs come out of nowhere. There's no reason. And, and Rodney Dangerfield sort of had a reason in the first movie. He's like, I know this guy. Rodney Dangerfield was a golfer. Yeah. In this movie, Jackie Mason was not a golfer. He couldn't golf. So why would he have these golf clubs? And you know what I'm saying? Not only that, but like this is the only scene they're a part of. It's like a quick and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the only time wacky clubs come out. Exactly. Yes. And it's just for a, a bit, a sight gag of all the weird clubs. And it was fun. You one know. of them's a shot. You know, it, one of them's a shotgun. It's like it's stupid. So they go through the nine holes. Robert Stack talks to Jackie Mason and says, "Why don't we let our lawyers handle that?" <laughs> and Jackie Mason is fine. Let my lawyer handle it. And then we cut to the lawyer's office, and Jackie Mason's lawyer is Randy Quaid. And he did, I thought he did really well at this part. This might be, and the bar is low, this might be the best scene of the movie. Robert Stack's lawyers come in, and one of his lawyers is actually his son, and they start doing all this lawyer talk about how it wouldn't be in everybody's best interest if these buildings went up. What You know, if you play ball, we'll play ball. And at first, Randy Quaid is playing it real cool, uh, but then he just goes off the deep end and starts, he crawls up on the desk. (laughs) I didn't go to one of those big, fancy law schools like you did, Mr. Pierpoint. So uh, you're going to have to explain something to me. How in the world do you expect Mr. Hartunian to voluntarily stop building on that site and move this entire housing project somewhere else? I... I don't see it. Because, sir, he'll have no choice. Well, let me explain how the legal system really works. Okay. You see, Mr. Blunt, if your client doesn't voluntarily cease and desist, we'll be forced to go through the long and very costly process of injunctions, lawsuits, motions, counter-motions, hearings, appeals. Which is going to cost you so much in terms of legal fees and construction delays. You'll wish you'd never heard of the Historical Preservation Society. (laughs) Because there's no way in hell we're going to let you guys come barging into Bushwood Estates and throw up a lot of cheap housing for a bunch of blue-collar trash. Which one of you is Chandler Young's son? I am. Well, you've certainly made it very clear how your legal system works, Mr. Young. Now I'd like to explain a little bit about the Peter Blunt system. You see, uh, <clears throat> I don't go in for lawsuits and motions or any of that legal stuff. No, no. See, see what happens is uh, I find out where you live, and then I come to your house, see, and I beat down your door with a fucking baseball bat, and then I'm going to make a bonfire with a Chippendale... Maybe roast that golden retriever. Then hit. And then I'm coming upstairs, Junior. And I'm going to grab you by your Brooks Brothers PJs. And then I'm going to take your brand new BMW and cram it up your tight ass. Do we have an understanding? 
it wouldn't work in real life by any means. No, he, no, it wouldn't. But he he unleashes insanity on them, which I thought was it, it was a fun little juxtaposition because there's a point where and I forget exactly what it was um, where he shifts from like going by the rule book and yes, let's talk about this to cool. Okay, y'all y'all are definitely not hearing me out. So he yeah he loses it. And starts going through these things like, I'm going to find you, I'm going to watch you, I'm going to do, you know, everything I can to make you not want to proceed with this case. Try me. So the, I guess the scene ends, they exit, because they're, they're off put, and he goes back to normal um, with the rest of the office people. Uh, and then we cut back to the clubhouse where they're, they're now riding horses. Yes, they're at, they're at a riding stable. And Robert Stack has his horse, and we see Jackie Mason and Diane Cannon come running up, and Jackie Mason's on, hey, what's the deal with the horse? It's constant with Jackie Mason. It was like, if this, if he was doing this in real life, you'd just, just please shut up. <laughs> it's it's just constant <laughs> banter. Joke, 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 joke. Well, now Robert Stack, he finds out what happened with the lawyer. And now it's going to be Robert Stack's mission to embarrass Jackie Mason at any cost. And Jackie Mason's on on a horse, and Robert Stack's on a horse, and Robert Stack's like, you know, why don't we ride around the track? It's a jump, you know, it's a track where the horses jump over all, you know, the the hedges. Because the and they, this is they have a couple. This of- is the first time Jackie Mason is on a horse. And everybody's like, you could kill yourself. <laughs> and nobody steps in to try to stop him. It's like, you can't just get on a horse and not only ride a horse, but jump a horse. And uh, I think that's what they're counting on is they're trying to sabotage. Now that they know that he's not one of the good old boys, they're they're like, okay, well, let's let's see what you can do with, you know, as part of this community that you're becoming a part of, you'll have to... Um, you know, jump in and like, you know, play, play the way we play. So jump on this horse. And there was a lot of fart jokes with the horse. Yes. I was going to get to that. Once again, the high, and like I said, I don't mind a fart joke. Your horse has a lot of gas. Hey, it's not the horse. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I, you know, it's a, it's a fun little, like, you know, I guess choice, but it's very like, there's no, there's no set. It's just out of nowhere. It's like the golf clubs; they pop up. It's like here's this bit. Okay, on to the next one. Bit, bit, bit. Right. So they do the jumping, and at first Jackie Mason is bad at it, and Robert Stack is laughing at him. But in the end, Robert Stack gets distracted by making fun of Jackie Mason, and he falls into this big mud puddle. And then Jackie Mason jumps over him, and as he jumps over him. His horse farts on Robert Stack's head. Which could have killed Robert Stack's character if the horse landed <laughs> on him. I know he doesn't know how to jump horses, but, you know, <laughs> landing on the guy probably wouldn't be good. And now, and not, and once again, we not, and now we cut back to Bushwood. There's a formal dance, and Jackie Mason shows up in this blue tuxedo, and his daughter... So at this point, her, his daughter is getting more and more embarrassed of her father. Dad, stop being you. Exactly. 
they go in and and Diane Keaton, not Diane Keaton, Diane Cannon. Once again, she sees him in that blue tuxedo and she just loses it. Well, I like the the intro when they first got because he in the before they go into the ballroom, um, Jack starts going off and he starts being himself and like making quips and making jokes and starting to like not attack these people, but be on the offensive instead of defenses. And Diane comes up, shoves like a piece of food in his mouth. Here, try this to like save him from, you know, hey, maybe you don't want to do this. So Diane, Diane Cannon is sort of in the middle. She's not all waspy white on the one hand, but then again, she's not all gruff and blue collar on the other hand. She, she knows how to play the I games. She, she knows how to play the game, exactly. She knows what line to go up to, and she's trying to keep Jackie Mason from going over that line. And the tango music starts, they start dancing the tango, and all the old people just get off the dance floor, and, and they... You know, and they're doing this dance, and it's the typical, you know, the dance ends. They're the only two on the dance floor, and everybody stands around and just looks at these. There, there's no all this stuff. There's nothing original in this movie. Mm-hmm. The the scene, you know, where they're riding the horses, and where the the good guy starts off bad, but then the bad guy ends up in the mud. The the scene where the two people are dancing, and at the end, it's very very quiet. There's just nothing. The, the lawyer scene, okay, fine. I would say that's that was the best scene of the movie. But for the most part, there's just nothing original in this movie. All the jokes are old jokes yeah. that we've seen before. It reminds me, and we're going to get to more. Th- it reminds me almost of like a, a parody movie, like a um, uh, what is it? Scary movie one through five, or like a not another superhero movie. Just kind of like bits on bits with not very much depth. And while this is happening, we cut to outside where Jonathan oh, yeah. Jonathan Silverman, the caddy, he's practicing his golf swing. And then Jackie Mason's daughter, she comes out and sees it. And so there's a there's like little flirting between those two. So now, once again, and I know we need tropes for movies, but now we get the trope where, oh, it's the rich girl and the poor guy. And then the rich girl's quote-unquote boyfriend is jealous. So all this is happening. Once again, nothing original. And tropes are fine. But when a movie is so unoriginal to begin with, adding more unoriginality, just it's just stacking it one on top of the other. Yeah. So yeah, they're, so they're teaching each other golf, or that comes up a little bit later. Uh, let's see. Daughter walks out. Uh, and then I they cut back in... After the caddy and the daughter of Jack have a heart-to-heart, and there's that little spark or flare, and we're back in, and they're having a slave auction, is what they called it. It's like, oh my god, a slave auction. And and they're all, like, you know, scoffing, not scoffing at each other, but the, like, approval, the, ha, 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 uh, slave auction. Because um, what they're going to do is auction off members of the board to the community for a day of servitude, quote-unquote. Right, and bef- but before this has happened, Robert Stack has told Jackie Mason, we don't want you here at Bushwood anymore. Oh, that's right. So he's basically kicked him out. So when the slave auction starts, Jackie Mason buys the entire council. Yeah, for $1,000 a piece when everybody there is very, very wealthy. Nobody wants him to win, but nobody can outbid $1,000 
Which, I mean, he was, he was very persistent, and he's well-to-do, but, you know, the collective of the country club couldn't beat one guy. And I think it's the, the joke is, no, even though we are rich, we're still kind of cheap. So Jackie Mason has bought all these rich people, and he puts them to work on his construction site. They've come to work in their dresses and their high heel shoes and their nice sweaters. They're slinging concrete around. We get a Three Stooges scene where he turns and he turns and the shovel hits a guy like a la Benny Hill. This is yeah. like Benny Hill and the Three Stooges. He swings, he hits a guy on the head, he, he falls off the ladder. It's just slapsticky and it's the slapsticky and. And once again, I don't mind slapsticky, but this was a, a totally unoriginal scene. And they they finally got to enough. Uh, I I don't know if it was just after this or just before that moment where everything you know escalates. And and he's like, "Why are you doing this to us?" Um, and he's like, "I want you to know what a day work really feels like." You know, so they try to put a little heart in there. Like you rich people are looking down at. The working class people. This is what working class people do every day to feed their family. And really, the Caddyshack news, Caddyshack Two, should not be a <laughs> message movie. <laughs> we cut back to the Bushwood, and all the rich people have come out of the steam room, and they're like, "We're going after Jackie Mason. Here's what we're going to do." Contact. We're lawyers. We're going to sue him. Contact the electric company. We're going to cut their power. So they're doing everything they can to to sabotage Jackie Mason, his building, to get him to go away. And once Jackie Mason finds out this is happening, he's going to fight back. So he goes back to Chevy Chase and asks Chevy Chase for his share of Bushwood. Because Chevy Chase owns 53% of Bushwood stock. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Down here reading. Listen, I want to buy Bushwood Country Club. I made up my mind. I got to get even with these son of a bitches. Oh, hold on a minute, Jack. Just a minute. Calm down. Do you want to buy Bushwood from me? That's right. That's right. Well, let me ask you this. Do I own it? I checked it out. You own 53% of the stock. 53%? Uh, good old dad. No flies on him. Very few on mom, as I recall. Mom and dad, well, they're gone now. They passed away? No. Oh, Palm Beach. Wait a minute. I'm sorry, I think they are dead. Listen, I want to talk business. All right, let's talk over a game of golf. I thought you don't play golf anymore. I still play. Just not outdoors. I finally got it down to the absolute basic essentials. Up, ball, swing. The rest of it is just walking around the park wearing funny pants. Do you think it's safe to hit a ball in a place like this? Of course. It's ballroom. Then they cut off my power, cut off my phones, pulled all my payments. 
Let's look at it from their point of view. Okay? Listen, I can't wait. I have to have an answer today. Ah, take it easy, Jack. We're gonna have to negotiate. There are gonna be phone calls, maybe some mail. Talking mucho de Nero here. And probably some American money, too. And he wants to buy them from Chevy Chase. And now we have this scene where Chevy Chase lives in this mansion, but he doesn't go out. He plays indoor golf. Yeah. And it's just really, really odd where he drives this golf cart around his his palatial home. He's hitting the golf ball off of paintings and off of suits of armor. And then he finally gets it outside, and he's good at golf. So he, yeah, he... Well, he was, yeah, he is good at golf. He was good at golf in the first movie. Yeah. In this movie, Jackie's like, I know you don't play golf anymore. And I'm picturing that they had to put that line in for the end of the movie because if he did play golf, it would be natural for Jackie Mason to team up with Chevy Chase. They didn't even, they obviously they didn't have Chevy Chase for the time or Chevy Chase didn't want to do it. So they had to put that line in to justify the ending of the movie. Yeah. Which I don't understand because nothing makes sense in this movie. <laughs> so he finally buys the shares of the club, and then he goes back to it. Um, but the thing is, is like he gets there and he's like, "Ha, you know, I I got one." Oh, there was one line with Chevy Chase. It's like this is going to take mucho dinero and probably some American dollars too. I thought was like a you know a fun throwaway line. But so he he anyway, we're back at the club and he's like, "Ah, it's my club now." And he hands the guy the stack of papers that say, I own the voting chairs and voting rights and I'm in charge and just hands it to his enemy and goes, yeah, look, here's the proof. <laughs> so the <laughs> that's where the movie could have ended. And then here's where we give where Jackie Mason gives us pri- privileged speech. Yeah. You know, you guys are on your high horse and the working class people. Well, I'm going to open Bushwood to the public. And he op- he turns Bushwood into like an adult miniature golf course. So there's windmills, and this is a Warner Brother movie. So we see all the Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam. So all the Warner Brother cartoon characters are sprinkled throughout this golf course. Robert Stack and his wife show up, and it's just like we have to play along. We can't let him know that he is winning. And his wife goes, "But he is winning." <laughs> <laughs> The and then yeah, the, I like the setup and the the payoff here because they pull up to the club and uh, so as they're coming in, everything looks normal and they're like okay because they have the floor buffers going and it's very quiet and then they exit into the back and they see the carnival that is their former club and so they're they're not happy because things aren't the way they were. No, but once again, they're not going to let Jackie Mason know that he has the upper hand. They'll keep their nose up as they play full-size miniature golf. And not only that, but he has installed like water slides and Ferris, Ferris wheels. wheels. So yep. he's turned it he's turned it into a a giant playground. And then there's a scene between Jonathan Silverman and Jackie Mason where Jonathan Silverman is sitting in his he's a lifeguard and he's checking out Jackie Mason's daughter and Jackie Mason is like, "Oh, you're watching my daughter." <laughs> And they try to do this back and forth, and he's trying to match Jackie Mason's speech with Jackie Mason. No, you know, you're saying it too fast. And the thing is, Jackie Mason is like, his daughter is attracted to Robert Stack's son. And Jackie Mason doesn't like that, and Jonathan Silverman doesn't like that. 
So the next scene is the rich kid. He's going to go down this water slide, and Jonathan Silverman turns off the water. So when he goes down the water slide, it's just friction. And you see the smoke, and it's like, oh, oh, hot, 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 hot. It's like, and once again, it's a water slide joke. It's like, how many times in a movie have you seen a water slide joke one way or another? Oh, yeah. Um, and he, yeah, yeah. The, and it's very cartoony. It becomes very much a cartoon at this moment. Like you're saying, like Yosemite Sam burning his britches. While this is happening, Robert Stack is playing golf with Randy Quaid. And so each hole is different. So Randy Quaid is just tormenting Robert Stack while they're playing golf. <laughs> they get on the last hole, which is ice hockey. hockey. That was a fun one. I, I liked, <laughs> I didn't mind that one. I liked and, it. Yeah. And Randy Quaid just basically just body checks Robert Stack into the boards and stops him from playing golf. <laughs> the first Caddyshack was ground in reality. There was a couple yeah. of wacky things in there. And by the way, the first Caddyshack had Bill Murray, which went a long way to making Caddyshack a great movie. Robert Stack, I give him a lot of credit. He's very, very classy, but he does... He's not the right person to be the head bad guy. Ted Knight was brilliant as the head bad guy in the first movie. And Chevy Chase's character was different. Chevy Chase's character was very, very likable. He was weird, but he was also very, very likable. He is not in this Yeah, movie. we're coming up on and, some very hateable properties. Yes, and Rodney Dangerfield... So what happened was uh, the, the movie... Caddyshack 2, the role of Jackie Mason and Randy Quaid, was supposed to go to Rodney Dangerfield and Sam Kennison. Mm -hmm. Oh. Because of Back to School. They had that scene in Back to School, and Rodney and Sam really liked each other. And But Sam Kennison looked at the script and just said, this is garbage. And I got to give Sam a lot of credit. Smart man. Because yeah. at... Sam never became a movie star. And to be, and this was a major motion picture. So to turn down to be in a major motion picture because you know the script is bad, I give him the foresight of just not doing it. Because Chevy Chase said in interviews, he said, the one movie I did just as a friend, just to be a friend to somebody, was Caddyshack 2. <laughs> so Chevy Chase only did this with friendship, with the people making the movie. Yeah. And speaking of friends, now we get to the point Dan Aykroyd is now introduced into the film. Because the president, former president, has finally had enough. He has had enough. So it's this bad part of town, and Dan Aykroyd pulls up in this uh, lunch wagon. Chandler Young? Yes? Our mutual friend told me to meet you here. Captain Tom Everett, United States Marine Corps, item 5-8, Company A, retired. Expecting someone with some sort of vehicle, but not this. Yeah. Well, think about it. Your objective is to surveil a target operating in the construction business. <laughs> what could be better suited for this type of covert recon than a barf wagon? <laughs> Order something. Are many not that hungry? Typical. Might I remind you? That sacrifice is the key to the survival of your country. Or in this case, your country club. 
All right, then give me a cheese sandwich. Don't have it. I'll have a tuna on whole wheat. Don't have it. No. I think you'll be ordering number six. Fiesta burrito with chili and eggs. Just exactly what is your military background? Oh, well, I had 15 years in. Covert stuff, mainly. Recon, LERP, special ops. Eh, most of the details of my assignments are still classified, so really can't go into it without compromising elements of our foreign policy. But it was mainly demolition work of an interpersonal nature. <laughs> then there was that damn bureaucratic snafu in the Nam, and I ended up at a VA mental facility. <laughs> typical. Ah, so typical. I can then assume our friend will be discouraged from any further involvement with Bushwood Country Club. Are we talking discouraged with extreme prejudice? I'm afraid we already tried extreme prejudice. It didn't work. No, no, no. I meant, do you want him terminated? The less I know about that, the better. Good. That's my policy exactly. That way, when we're captured and they put the 12-volt car battery to our testicles, which can, does, and has happened. He's playing this ex-Marine. Basically, Dan Aykroyd is doing a bad impression of Bill Murray yeah. from the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> or not a bad impression, but he's his essentially the same... He's a, His rendition. He's essentially the same character. In the first movie, Bill Murray was hired to kill the gopher. In this movie, Robert Stack hires a man <laughs> to kill Jackie Mason. <laughs> in, like, in the first movie, uh, Ted, sure, there... It never, it never got to the point where somebody was in physical danger. In this movie, death. he hires... It's death. He's hiring a man to kill another man. Scott, it, just so you know, there's no stakes higher than death. So I think this was a critical point in the movie where they know they needed to turn it around and make it serious, and they raised the stakes. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I did like Dan Aykroyd's character, too. Like, the, his rendition of it was fun. The blood pack and the blood oath. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not, no. <laughs> the character is solid, but it's just... It not, and, yeah. It's 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 not in service of anything. But you, so you're saying, like, so, the I mean, you were, you were saying that, like, it's ridiculous that they would hire somebody to, like... Uh, kill somebody in a comedy movie to get their problem solved. No, no, it's not ridiculous. But, and it depends on, in this movie, I would feel it would be ridiculous. This, this, it just, it comes out of nowhere. Where would this guy know how to get in touch with Dan, Dan Aykroyd? It's, yeah. there was one line in it that just sort of sums up the movie to me. You know, Dan Aykroyd wants to, make sure that he understands Robert Stack. And he goes, so you want me to take care of the target with extreme prejudice? And Robert Stack goes, no, no, we tried extreme prejudice. That didn't work. We tried racial slurs, but it didn't work. So now we're going to kill a man. Once again, I just don't feel... Killing somebody in a comedy movie, That once again, that's comedy fodder as well. Yeah. 
but it just doesn't it doesn't work in this movie. It's, it's just out of place in this movie. I think, like you said, the they didn't have time to build things up. It was like with the relationship, it went it it just hit its peak, and they went with it at, on a plateau. And this is like, what else do we do? Oh well, he they hit the peak of maybe we should get this character to kill him off, you know, raise you know, and then he he goes with that. So they go too extreme too fast. And now we go back to Jackie Mason's house. He's blow drying his hair, and the gun, the the blow dryer is a gun. So it looks like he's literally blowing his brains out. <laughs> I thought that was a dumb visual gag. Yeah, there's no reason. It just doesn't make sense. He's just it's, an eccentric. I think it was just yeah. He's uh, look how goofy this guy is. He has a hair dryer that looks like a gun. And then Diane Cannon shows up to his house, and he's like, oh, let me get ready. And he gets trapped in the bathroom. This happens in movies all the time, and I don't understand it. He, he goes into his bathroom. The handle comes off in his bathroom, so he's trapped in his bathroom. Yeah. Hey, hey. Diane Cannon! Knock, knock. Can you help me open this door? I, he's not doing anything wrong. He's just trapped in his bathroom. So instead of asking the person in the house with him, because they can hear each other, because she's like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm just getting ready. So it's not like she can't hear him. Yeah. Maybe if she couldn't hear him, that would be a way. But instead of saying, hey, the door handle, something simple. Hey, the door handle just came off. Can you come up here and open the door? He decides to crawl out the window, crawl down the terrace, fall off the terrace, and then go to the front door. It, and once again, that's... Insane. ...worn-out comedy. A man, a person trying to get out of a window and falling off a terrace. It's like, there's nothing, nothing original in this movie. <laughs> All the jokes are old jokes. It, and, and for no reason. Like you said, it's like... And for no reason. Just open... The, I think that's the problem with me is, yeah, the, the there's there's no depth to why they're doing it. He just he doesn't want to save face or he doesn't, you know, he like you said... Hey, he doesn't want to be embarrassed by being caught in the bat. What's embarrassing about that? If he was naked, let's say he was naked. Yeah. And he... Okay, I don't want her to see me naked. That's one thing. But he's already, he's already come down to the front door in his bathroom. Yeah. He's fully clothed. There's no acceptable reason and I don't know why I'm getting so worked up about this scene but there's no acceptable reason for him to say hey can you help me with this door hey maybe call the cops hey I ha get a ladder that's all he has to do yeah. in this scene and he just doesn't do it and, and and once again in this movie and I know in comedy movie he falls like from the second story yeah and he's fine and, then, like, and a lot of people, a lot of older people in this movie are taking massive falls and are not being hurt. <laughs> the um, I was going to say, and it's it's also unlike his character to be a little bashful and not just be like, hey, I need a little help here. You know, I, I think yes, that's the how other about thing. a little help. Yeah. And that, you know what, that could have been a nice flirting scene between them. You mm -hmm. want me to let you out? Well, what do I get in return? Yeah. Well, what would you like? How about it? Like, you, you see them both on both sides of the door, a little flirty scene, you know, cementing their relationship. I think mm -hmm. that would have been a lot better scene than... Uh, Slapstick. 
So he gets to the door, and with the broken terrace, he brings flowers that I guess they were growing on that. And he's like, I, I got your flowers. Um, and and so then the daughter comes in. The daughter uh-huh. comes in, and the daughter's upset with the dad because she she has been seduced by white privilege. <laughs> And she and can't she live here anymore. Be, She's, I'm she out. can't live here anymore because now she is fully embarrassed by her dad. She wants to be part of Bushwood. She wants to be part of the elite. And Jackie Mason is hurt. This is somewhat of a sentimental scene. But the thing oh. is, it there, once again, there's not, it hasn't been built up to this. Co- because throughout the movie, the daughter has been flirting with Jonathan Silverman. When Jonathan Silverman turns the water off, she makes eye contact with him. So she she knows that Jonathan Silverman is doing all this stuff. It's it sort of comes out of nowhere. She seems to have a good head on her shoulders. Then out of nowhere, it's like I want to be part of these people. We don't see through the movie of her being seduced by yeah the rich people. If we if we would have seen more of that, this scene might have had more of an impact. But it's just out of nowhere. It's like, Daddy, I just want to be rich and white. The, I can't live here. I'm living with Buffy or Muffy or Tuffy, whatever fucker name is. Yeah, the the quote was like, "Yeah, the club was perfect, and you made it cheap and common, and that's what her, you know, that's what they were trying to do with her character." Is like, you know, I want to be better than we were, and the dad's like, "What are you talking about? We're who we are," kind of thing. I mean, they don't they, they didn't use those words, but that was the feeling of like, just be yourself, essentially. And she storms out, and Diane Cannon says she's just she's young, she's going through things, she'll get through this. So then, and and then oh, we go yeah. to the the bar at Bushwood, and another scene between Jackie and Ch- and this is the 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 horrible Chevy Chase. What scene. the heck happened? Like his character went from like goofy and aloof to like pervert in sixty seconds. So Jackie is pouring his heart out to Chevy Chase, and Chevy Chase sees this table full of women, so the eyes are going back and forth. And Chevy Chase goes, hey, watch this. And he goes over there, and he just berates, he's just very misogynistic. He just berates all these women with these horrible pickup lines. Hey, do you want to play uh, Slap the Clam? How about Hide the Pony? And one by one, these girls are getting up. And going like, ugh, gross. He joins the table and just starts alienating each and every one of them until he gets down to one that I guess is like, yeah, I'll play game. And then turns her away immediately. Yes, have you ever seen a crisp $50 bill? Mm-hmm. It comes out of nowhere and it totally undermines Chevy Chase's character as a lovable goofball. Now, we don't like him as much as we don't like Robert Stack. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, it's just a that was just a weird, weird scene just to make the joke one of one of our chief protagonists unlikable. But because it, it, it and later it's not referenced, his character's not the same. His character doesn't change. It was this one little scene yet where I guess they could fit in a, this one joke. And I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't come in play. It doesn't go anywhere. It and his character doesn't even stay that way. There's no other no. scenes where like he's with a lady for any reason. Well, in the first movie he plays a ladies man and but in the first movie there's this young caddy and Chevy becomes like a mentor to him. A very very likable 
trait to have in a person. And everything is just wiped out with his character, with this scene. Mm. And while this is happening, we see Dan. He hops up. He's in a wetsuit, so he's been skin diving, and he puts a bomb under a car. And we it's, all, yep, we all know it's yep. this. Yep, we all know what's going to happen. <laughs> Once again, no originality. Jackie Mason gets in his car and drives away. Robert Stack and his son are walking to a car. Dan blows up the wrong car. Who ah. could have saw that coming? <laughs> uh, the, the lack of laughs is one thing, but the total lack of unoriginality in this movie is staggering from people who are known for their originality. I don't know if this was just a paycheck for everybody. Maybe it was. Maybe everybody just half-assed it, but just a total lack of unoriginality from each and every joke is just staggering. (laughs) Are you sure this wasn't punishment for you? I've done this before. I reviewed this movie before, and I was just... But it's I, I, I couldn't get stuff off my chest because it was just me. Now I can do it. Um, so, so yeah, now what was found out before they left, that they finally both had enough with each other, and so before the bomb blows off, they decide to play a final game of golf to see who owns the club and gets to take the reins and make it what they want to make it. Right. And that is the exact ending of the first movie. So we see the next day, Chevy Chase is trying to teach Jackie Mason how to golf. And we see the na 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 And what we haven't established is Jackie Mason has this massive slice, which they do with computer animation. So every time he hits the ball, he has the worst slice. Yeah, it goes off. It behind him or and we just get the we get scene after scene of and for some reason Jonathan Silverman's going to be his partner some I, yeah I, <laughs> there's hey, caddy there, there's been there, got fired the caddy that can't really golf is going to be his partner and like like I said if it was a real movie the real choice would have been Chevy Chase but he doesn't golf anymore but he's teaching him how to golf and <laughs> well played movie well played good job well played <laughs> you could have taken the bar scene and maybe made Chevy at the end of it so he was part of the finale instead of wasting him on that other day. I'm sure he's not part of the finale because he wasn't there for the filming. I'm Okay. I'm almost po- I'm almost positive of that. <clears throat> oh no, I was just going to say the the there's a little bit of um a line I think like be the ball or be something and he's like if I was going to be sports equipment, I would rather be, you know, a lady's bike seat or a, something like a, a girl's bicycle seat. So now, like now we don't like our main character because he's. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's just a tired joke in itself. Yep. If I ever came yep. back, I'd be a, a girl bicycle. I, I, I can. Uh, I remember at least three movies where that that joke has been made. But we come uh, back to the president Robert so yeah so Robert Stack and Dan Aykroyd they meet again Dan has these exploding golf balls and he's like here's what's going to happen Robert Stack is like if I am ever in danger you're going to watch the final round of golf whenever I tip my cap that'll be your cue to kill Jackie Mason so what Robert Stack is doing is I'm going to be playing golf if I'm winning everything is cool if I'm not winning, you kill have to kill him. Jackie Mason. <laughs> and the point is, so he has these balls that have the skull and crossbow on them. And it's like, 
he's got this watermelon set up in the distance. He's like, keep your eye on the fruit. And he hits the golf ball. And when the golf ball hits the watermelon, the watermelon explodes. And he goes, picture that being your victim's head. So now we've established how the golf ball works. Remember that. Everybody remember that. (laughs) He hits the golf ball. And then once the golf ball hits the target, it explodes. We've set that up. Remember that. <laughs> and, and now we're at the big tournament, and it, once again, it's just gag after gag with the with they did their the Bugs Bunny the gag where it's like, okay, here are the rules. None of this slaps him. None of this it punches him in the gut. None of this. So, so again, they're they're, they're and once again, that's an old joke. Yeah, and the but gopher before... the gopher makes an appearance. Also, he's he's he. There's a little like the ground starting to turn where Dan Aykroyd was. Two things are happening at once. So the gopher has gotten under Dan Aykroyd's skin. So now Dan Aykroyd is going to try to kill the go- the gopher while watching the golf tournament. And so Dan Aykroyd is he's looking at the golf course and he sees this older woman in a golf skirt and he's like, "Oh, how can I And that that is lifted almost word for word from the first movie. Bill Murray does the same thing in the first movie. And <laughs> maybe it was an homage but to me, it was just like it was just like lifting one scene and just placing it in another. The gopher is going through Dan Aykroyd's bags, and he pulls out a Twinkie and starts eating a Twinkie. And since Harold Ramis wrote this movie, I can't help thinking: is that a nod to Ghostbusters, where they do that Twinkie scene, where he's like, if if this is. Uh, where they, they basically the line is that's a big Twinkie. I can't help but think that that might be a a subtle callback to Ghostbusters, where the Gopher is eating Twinkies. However, later in the movie, they don't call him Twinkies. He's like uh, everybody loves cream filled pastry cake. treats, yeah, sponge cake. Maybe they didn't get Twinkies permission to use Twinkies. Anyway, let's just wrap this up. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> so the yeah so. Um... So somewhere along the way, in the middle of this golf tournament, he didn't learn during his training, but he starts getting better during the tournament, and they start catching up because the the snobs were winning, but now they're tied, and we're towards the final last few holes. Now, while this is happening, Dan Aykroyd sets up a crossbow dipped in poison, and he's going to kill the gopher. That's right. But... What happens is the gopher shoots Dan Aykroyd in the ass with this poison-tipped arrow. Okay. Uh, And we get to the final hole. So now Dan Aykroyd's vision is blurry because he's got this poison coursing through his body. And Robert Stack is giving him the signal to kill Jackie Mason. The final hole, Jackie Mason makes this 50-foot putt. You know, the na 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 sinks it. It goes in the hole, and Robert Stack has this two-foot putt. If he if he makes it, they tie. And so what happens is the gopher has taken the exploding ball from Dan Aykroyd, and he has gone underground, and he has replaced the exploding ball with Robert Stack's ball. And his families all gather around Robert Stack and like, it's a two-foot putt. All you got to do is make this putt. Just tap. Just tap it. So he taps the exploding ball and it explodes. (laughs) But before, it exploded when it hit its target. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
And before all this happens, I, we've got to say that Jackie Mason's daughter, she realizes that she's been wrong. She pushes the you know the white privilege away. She goes back. She makes up with her father right before the putt. Yeah, Dad, you can do this. I believe in you. I understand what you were saying. So the whole family blows up at the ball. Hey! So, so Jackie Mason wins. Yay. And everybody is cheering. <laughs> and then... And then while this is happening, we see Chevy Chase hitting some golf balls. Even though he doesn't and play Dan golf. And Dan Aykroyd comes out of the bushes <laughs> with an arrow in his ass. Oh, no. <laughs> and he turns to Chevy Chase and says, If I pull out the arrow, will you suck out the poison? So they, yeah. And uh, so that's it, yeah. It's, no, and uh, that wasn't it. Because after well, that scene, we have the gopher pop up, and he sees a poodle and starts vulgarly thrusting in and, the air. And starts dry humping the air. Going, yeah, I'm going to get some the poodle. of that. <laughs> and, then, and that's the end of the movie. It's the final shot. <laughs> the final shot is this humping gopher. The Humping Gopher. Uh-huh. And that is Caddyshack 2. We did it, Scott. We're at the end. Ugh. We're done. Like I said before, this has been on the list of one of the worst sequels of all time. One of the worst movies of all time. And I can see it. It was just... First of all, compared to the original, it falls short. But it's just, it's disjointed. There's no jokes the jokes they go for are old and tired. It's just not an enjoyable movie. It's not so good it's bad. It's just hard to watch. It's, All these yeah. talented people being wasted. It's just, just awful. Maybe like you said, they were cranking it out. They were contracted to do a sequel in some kind of way. So they pumped it out, put it in production, and were like, okay, we're done. Let's go do something else. Um and and uh, to your point, again, it's not like one of those movies where it's so bad you want to watch it and make fun and tease. It's somewhere in the middle bad where it's just like, okay, that was a movie. Great. <laughs> yes, this was a movie. There were scenes, there were actors, there were cameras. <laughs> I can't see anybody in this being happy that they did it. Like, Jackie Mason was not, I think this might have been his only starring role. I all the actors are competent. There it was just they were just giving nothing they were just giving nothing to work with. They've ruined they ruined Chevy Chase's character. Dan Aykroyd is wasted. That was a great character. Like I said, Robert Stack brings class to it. Randy Quaid had the one funny scene. All the young actors are fine. It's just like it's just there's nothing to it's just a big as my friend said, it's just a big nothing burger. Yeah, there's no substance it, it, to it. There's it's no substance to bits. it. It didn't need to... And even if it was just bits, like, the first Caddyshack is just bits, but they're funny. And like I said, with Bill Murray not in this movie, that just is a huge detriment. And Rodney Dangerfield not in this movie. Mm -hmm. It's like, the, the, the foursome in the first movie, the, the, the cast is was perfect. And this is disjointed. We don't like Chevy Chase in this movie. We don't like Robert Stack, but for the wrong reason. It's he goes over the edge. 
Jackie Mason is sort of lovable in this movie, but for the most part, but there's a few for the most part, yeah. it's just terrible. And you can go online and just read article after article after article about this being one of the worst movies slash sequels of all time. <laughs> and I can believe it. And it lost a bunch of money. Like I said, eight years. Nobody was clamoring for a Caddyshack sequel. Well, didn't we just recently do that with Avatar, the blue people? There, nobody was asking for. I mean, I I wasn't asking for that sequel, but what was it? Ten years later, and they were like, "Hey, you remember this?" Right, and the, like the Indiana Jones movie. I guess yeah. people were clamoring for that, but <clears throat> so that's it. I both I think we both agree that this was just a bad a bad movie, a bad mistake. Uh, uh, don't watch it. Yeah, it's it not was, fun. They were just la- laundering money somehow. I'm sure that's what this was yeah. for. Don't yeah, there's dirty, co- dirty cocaine money somewhere. <laughs> uh, Will, where can we find you? Uh, on Instagram is a good spot. Gnome on the go with periods in between uh, each word. You can find me there or my email, www.will.com at gmail.com. I check that every now and then. All right. And so the next project, will I'm, you, you've done your punishment well. <laughs> So your the next project will actually be a fun project. Okay, I promise. Uh, I don't know what it'll be, but it will be a fun project for both of us. Yeah, we'll find something. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Will, and we'll see everybody here next time on the Ackroyd Podcast. Bye. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com/scottwhite and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. Excuse me, Mr. Something. Might I trouble you for a scalpel or some forceps or maybe even a pair of pliers? See, I had a little trouble getting out of the roughs over there and... uh, Damn if I didn't accidentally shoot myself with a poison-tipped crossbow dart. <laughs> if I pull the arrow out, will, will you please suck out the poison for me? Let me get this straight. You pull it out, I suck. <laughs> Is there any money in it for me? This has been a Cross the Streams Media Podcast. Pose for that shot on four like uh, you like that uh, wedge. You always pose like that on good shots. Well, I didn't want anyone to forget that shot. <laughs> <laughs> and you made the putt, too. That was I did make the putt, yeah. You almost got taken out by your own clubs on the fifth hole. Um, well, did you know was golf my, was such a, a dangerous that sport? That was my caddy slash driver cast flat slash bodyguard who... Uh, Went under the ropes. We cleared the ropes in the cart, but the golf cart, the golf clubs did not, and they sort of boomerang and whipped. <laughs> 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 a decapitation. Yeah. But instead, we're just so happy to be here having some fun. How was that? Just get from Caddyshack. That would have been a great scene for Caddyshack. Yeah. Yeah. Sounded like the guy that wrote Caddyshack too. <laughs> <laughs>
Fox and he's <laughs> for quite a while. You've got a relationship.